And good morning, church family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. Today we're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 983. We're going to talk about the ministry of intercession this morning. I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider the text together. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are so grateful for another Sunday morning that we can gather together as a church family. Thankful for the opportunity to fellowship with one another and to worship you. We pray that our worship would be pleasing to you, that you would help us, Lord, to glorify you with our hearts and voices. Lord, as we consider today's text, might you work it into our souls, might it become a part of us, and might it shape the way that we live our Christian lives. Lord, I pray all of these things in your Son's name. Amen. So what do you do when someone you love is experiencing a crisis of faith? Well, there are two things you can do. You can talk to them about it, and you can pray for them. That's what you can do. And the Apostle Paul does both for the church in Colossae. Just uh, by way of reminder, the church of Colossae had not been established by the Apostle Paul. It had been established by a man named Epaphras. And at this time, it was just a small, fledgling little congregation filled with new Christians. And they were surrounded by a pluralistic society. And there were advocates of competing systems of thought coming to this congregation and saying things like this to them. They're saying, listen, if you guys want to be Christians, all that, that's fine. But if you really want assurance that you have a right relationship with God, you need some things in addition to the gospel message. You also need to embrace our philosophies. You need to embrace our traditions. They were calling for things like the worship of angels, um, new dietary restrictions, and, and things like these. And it was really shaking the faith of these new believers in Colossae. They wondered, have we embraced enough by embracing the gospel of Christ? Is our relationship with God not what it ought to be? And there was a lot of, of confusion on their parts. The Apostle Paul was very concerned about this. He loved the, the church of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to see the church built up in its faith. So Paul did what he could do. First, he sent a letter to the congregation. The letter is what we now call the book of Colossians. And then Paul also prayed for this church. And right here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he gives a report to the church of his prayers for them. He explains to them how often... He prays for them. He, he tells them what he is praying for, and then he explains why he was praying for them. And this morning, we're going to study Paul's prayer report, and then we're going to hold it up as a model that we can all follow. That's where we're headed this morning. Before we actually get into the text, there is one very basic question that we've got to answer. That question is, what is prayer? What is prayer? Well, friends, the old hymn writer Isaac Watts defined prayer this way. He said, prayer is the address of a creature on earth to God in heaven. It is the conversation which God allows us to maintain with himself above while we are here below. 
That's a beautiful description of prayer. I could define prayer this way. Prayer is the act of a Christian conveying his godly desires to God with the expectation that God will answer them. And prayer is a profound expression of Christian faith. Because every time we go to God in prayer, we are declaring that we believe he's really there. And we're declaring that we believe all that the Bible says about him. For example, when we pray, we're declaring our belief that God is omnipotent. That we can go to him with with these requests. They are far beyond our ability to answer. But we know that God has the ability to answer for us. He's all-powerful. And when we pray, we're declaring our faith that God is omnibenevolent, meaning he's an all-good God. He, he delights to hear our prayers, and that when he receives them, he will answer them in the ways that are best for us. We're also declaring our faith that God is omnisapient, meaning that he is all-wise. Sometimes when we convey our requests to God, We don't even know the right answer to our problem. So we just give the problem to God. We're trusting that in his wisdom, God will know what to do. So when we pray to God, we are expressing profound faith in him. But then faith is also, excuse me, prayer is also a faith building exercise. As we come to realize that there are some things beyond our ability to control. And that we need God to act on our behalf. So prayer involves faith from beginning to end. And when we pray to God about the needs of others, as Paul does here for the church of Colossae, this is called the ministry of intercession. It's an act of of service that we offer to our fellow Christians, which we go to the throne of grace on their behalf. We are interceding for their needs. It's one of the most important things that we can do for another person. And so prayer ought to be a significant part of every Christian's life. You know, the thing about prayer is that it does not require any of your money, It does not require any special skills. All it requires is your time and your faith. And God is pleased to use the prayers of his people to shape the world. So what more important thing could we engage in than that? Friends, it's also good for us to let others know when we are praying for them. We don't do that to to try to curry their favor in any way, but simply by by way of encouragement to say, look, I, I understand that you are going through this really challenging time, but I am going to God for you. I'm telling him about your problems. I'm asking him to work in your life. That can be hugely influential in a in a fellow believer's life. In fact, over the years, I've discovered that one of the most meaningful things I can do as a pastor is just to let people know that I'm praying for them and then to follow through and actually do it. Not two days ago, I received a call from another pastor in the area who just had the the worst possible news to share. And the only thing he wanted from me was my prayers. He said, can you pray? It would make a huge difference to me to know that I'm not the only one going to God with these needs. And so I said I would, and we prayed together on the phone. And it was a huge relief to him, and I will continue to pray for him in the days to come. 
Prayer is one of the most important things that we can do. The ministry of intercession is one of the most important acts of service that you can offer to your fellow Christians. And how often should we pray for our fellow Christians? Well, this brings us to today's text. Look how often Paul says he was praying for the Colossian believers. He says, verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So, from the very moment the Apostle Paul heard that the church of Colossae existed, and from the moment he heard about the crisis of faith that they were experiencing, he began praying for them, he and his protege, Timothy. And he says he was praying for them nonstop right up to the present time. So how often should we intercede for our fellow believers? We should intercede the moment we know that there is a problem, and we should pray nonstop for them until that problem is resolved. That's how often we should pray. You know what's really remarkable about the Apostle Paul is that he said these kinds of things to every single person he knew. He had an incredible prayer life. To the church of Rome, Paul wrote, God is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. To the church of Ephesus, Paul wrote, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. To the church in Philippi, Paul wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And to the church in Thessalonica, Paul wrote, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly remembering you in our prayers. To his young protege, Timothy, Paul wrote, I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. And to his friend Philemon, Paul wrote, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Now, friends, if ever there was a man in history who would have a good excuse not to pray, it would be Paul, right? I mean, Paul was the most active missionary of his generation, probably one of the most active in all of church history. And here was a man who spent his days traveling by foot from city to city, preaching the gospel, establishing new churches, and then writing letters to these churches to continue building them up in the faith. And on top of all of the missionary activities of Paul, he was also supplementing his own income with a secular job. Paul was a tent maker by trade. And so he was traveling, he was preaching, he was writing, and he was making tents on the side. He had an incredibly busy life. And yet, every single person that Paul knew was being prayed for by Paul. And not just once or twice with a few flippant words, but Paul says to them in churches and as individuals, he says, I am always praying for you, never stopping. Paul had an incredible prayer life because Paul understood the central place of prayer in the Christian life. Prayer is to be at the very heart of our lives as Christians. You know, after the Apostle Paul was thrown into prison, I imagine that his prayer life grew exponentially because now all he could do was write and think and pray. Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Colossians. I see him there in that dark prison cell doing nothing but, but kneeling there, eyes closed, hands clasped, just begging God to do a work in this church and among all of the churches that he was aware of. 
See, Paul gave himself to the ministry of prayer because he understood this is central to the life of a Christian. Friends, you and I are called to make prayer a central part of our lives as well. Praying for ourselves, yes, but especially engaging in the ministry of intercession whereby we pray to God for the needs of others. In Colossians 4.2, Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, Pray without ceasing. This is our great responsibility as believers, my friends. And so may I ask you, have you made intercessory prayer a significant part of your life? Are you known to your fellow Christians as a person of prayer? And if not, will you resolve from this day forward to make prayer a major part of your life? Will you begin to pray for your family? Will you pray for your local church, for every member in it? Will you pray for all of the churches of Christ around the world? Will you begin to pray for anyone who has any need that you become aware of? Will you pray always and often? Will you make it one of the most important parts about you? Now, I know that the idea of, of sustained prayer can be really intimidating, especially for those who have, who have never done it before. So maybe we can just take it into to little bite-sized portions. Maybe you could simply start by choosing a certain time of day and a certain place, and every day you just give yourself to a few minutes of intercessory prayer. You can even make yourself a, a list. So maybe Monday morning for 10 minutes, you will pray for your immediate family. And then Tuesday for 10 minutes, you'll pray for your church family. Then maybe Wednesday for 10 minutes, you'll pray for all of the churches of Christ around the globe. And each day you will choose a, a different group of people to be praying for. But you will start there. And then throughout the day, as, as different people come to your mind, you can just offer spontaneous prayers to God. Just a, a brief pause in your day to say, God, will you, will you please bless this person, watch, watch over them right now. And this is how I imagine Paul operating most of the time. Surely Paul had dedicated hours of prayer every single day. But when he says, I pray without ceasing, I think he, he means that every single day as he's traveling, as he's writing, as he's preaching, just any time that, that he is active, when things come to his mind, he just goes to God right then and there. A quick intercessory prayer. What kinds of things was Paul praying for? Well, let's look what Paul prayed for in regard to the Colossian church. He tells us in the second part of verse 9. He says, From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Now, here are the requests. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as Paul evaluated the, the situation confronting the church in Colossae with all of these um, false teachers coming in on the church, declaring that they needed to make additions to their gospel, here's what Paul felt he needed to pray for most. 
He prays that God would do a special work in their hearts such that they would come to a full confidence and a full knowledge of the will of God for them. Now that's a significant prayer. It's important for us to note what Paul does not pray for here. Now this church is being harassed on all sides, and yet Paul does not pray that God would remove the people who were giving the church grief. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that was the trigger for their crisis of faith, right? All of these people around them. But Paul doesn't pray, God, take those people away. No, Paul prays, God, do a work inside of the believers so they can be faithful no matter what their circumstances are. See, Paul understood an important truth about the Christian life, that God calls Christians to live their lives embedded within societies in which not everyone is going to share their faith. And in some societies, believers will find themselves surrounded by those hostile to their faith. But this is the way that the Christian life is to be lived. We don't pray that God would dismiss the non-believers around us. That'd be like praying that God would eliminate our mission field. We don't pray to God that he would take away every trial of our lives. No, instead, we pray that God would so work in us that we could be faithful in the midst of our trials, that we would have have confidence in our knowledge of God and his will, that we would know how to navigate the complexities of our world, that we could speak to others with wisdom about the things of God. So Paul's not going to pray that these, these harassers be taken away. He's going to pray that God would help the believers to know how to respond to them. Specifically, he prays that God would fill them with a knowledge of his will. Now, first and foremost, I think that means that Paul wants God to give them confidence about his will as expressed in the gospel. Because that was the core of the the crisis in this church. You guys can have the the gospel if you want, but you also need our philosophies, our traditions. Then you will know you're right with God. Paul says, in light of that, I am praying that you will understand the will of God for your salvation, namely that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, with no additions to that, no subtractions to that. Would you understand that is the will of God for salvation and nothing else? He wants them to be filled to the fullness with confidence in that. Because if they could understand that truth, they would no longer be unsettled by all the systems of thought around them. As people came to them and said, you know, what you really need is to start worshiping angels. And you really need to take on these new dietary restrictions and all these other things. What would the believers in Colossae respond with? If they were confident in God's will for our salvation in the gospel, they would respond with, no, you're wrong. That's not it at all. The the atonement of Christ is all sufficient. It it paid all the penalty of my sins. It, It has done all that is necessary for me to be reconciled to God. The only thing for me to do is to respond, to receive the gift in repentance and faith. I don't have anything else to do but that. See, if they were filled with the knowledge of God's will in the gospel, none of these uh, alternative systems of thought would pose any trouble at all. They would know, they would know 
that these systems were wrong. But then I think Paul isn't just concerned that they know God's will in the gospel. I think he's also concerned that they would know God's moral will for their lives. See, Christianity isn't just an intellectual system. It's also a way of life. And there are, there are ways of living which flow naturally from a life that has embraced the gospel of Christ. Paul will spend much of his time in this book unpacking God's moral will for us. He explains that it's God's will that we be holy as God is holy. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, he says, It is God's will for us that we put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. In Colossians 3, verses 12 through 16, he says, It's God's will that we put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace, wisdom, and thanksgiving. In Colossians 3.18 to 4 verse 6, he says it's God's will for wives to submit to their husbands, for husbands to love their wives, for children to obey their parents, for servants to obey their masters, for masters to be just toward their servants. It's God's will that we devote ourselves to prayer, to spend our time well, to to have speech that is always gracious and seasoned with salt. This is God's moral will for our lives. In all of these things, the vices to put off, the virtues to put on, they are all natural outgrowths of embracing the gospel of Christ. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and to live soberly and righteously in this present age. It is never God's will that we worship angels, that we live lives of asceticism, or that we do any of the other things the outsiders were telling the church of Colossae that they needed to start practicing. Those things were antithetical to the gospel, and they had nothing to contribute to a life of godliness. And so, to summarize here, this was Paul's prayer in light of the Colossians' dilemma. They were shaken in their faith because they were situated in the midst of a pluralistic society and advocates of these competing systems of thought were constantly pounding on their doors telling them that they could not be sure of their relationship with God unless they embraced these other systems of thought in addition to the gospel. What's more, they were telling these Colossian Christians that they would not have the respect of their peers in the community unless they adopted some of their thoughts. Well, Paul thinks about that problem, lets it process in his mind, and he says, you know what they need more than anything? Here's what the Colossian Christians need. They need to be brought back to a place of absolute, total confidence in the will of God. They need confidence in the gospel that they have received. It is all sufficient If they have responded to the work of Christ in repentance and faith, they have all that they need to be right with God. They just need to know that and understand it, have the wisdom to see it. And they need to know God's moral will for their lives. It doesn't involve any of the practices that these guys are telling them to do. It is the virtues of Christ that they need to embrace. So Paul engages in the ministry of intercession, begging God to fill them with the knowledge of His will. 
Now, what about other matters of God's will? Questions like, who should I marry? Or what house should I buy? What career path should I follow? Is Paul concerned that they understand these aspects of God's will too? Friends, over the years, I have found that these are the issues Christians are most interested to learn. Same thing with me. When I was a, a younger man, all I wanted to know is, you know, who's God's will for, for me to marry and when is that girl going to show up and what path is God going to, to set me down? Okay, the, these are the big questions that we have in our youth. But you know, friends, these are precisely the things we should be least concerned about, least concerned about. And here's why. If you have a firm hold on the gospel of Christ, and you have embraced that gospel, and you have absolute confidence in it, and if you are living according to the moral will of God, and you are doing this consistently, then all of these other areas of life are just going to take care of themselves. I mean, how could they not? If your relationship to God is right, and your whole self is surrendered to the moral will of God, and so you're making all the right decisions, you're doing all the right things, can you not trust that God will, in His time and in His way, bring those right people and, and circumstances into your life? In fact, listen to Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. So take what you know is God's will, follow that wholeheartedly, and God will clear the path for the rest of it. It'll take care of itself. You won't have to worry, am I marrying the right person? It will be the right person if you're following God's moral will. Don't worry about the career path that you're choosing. It will be the right path if you have followed all of God's revealed will to that point. You will be making the right decisions. See, all of these kinds of things are part of the the providence of God. God is sovereign over all of our lives, and He will order our steps as we trust in Him. And so Paul doesn't pray for those kinds of things. He doesn't pray that God would give them special knowledge into the, the, the future, Said he just prays that they would understand what they've already come to see. That the gospel is the will of God for our salvation. That these moral truths are how God desires for us to live. And if they will do that, they will be okay. So my friends, when the philosophies of this world leave us unsettled in our spiritual convictions, here's what we need more than anything else. We need God to be doing a work in our lives such that we can have confidence even when we are surrounded by those who are trying to shake our faith. And we need to be praying for others, that other Christians would come to see the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God's revealed will, that they would settle their minds and and hearts on God's will. In fact, friends, this is a prayer for all times and on all occasions. Not just in those moments when when your faith is feeling shaky, but in every situation of life, whether you're in in good seasons of life or or going through trials, this is always the right thing to be praying for. 
God, continue to give me confidence in the gospel of Christ. Help me to see the all-sufficiency of Christ. Teach me the truth and goodness and beauty of your way. Help me never to be tempted by any other way. God, convince me of the goodness of your moral will and help me to follow it with determination. No matter what we're going through in life, these are the right things to be asking for, for ourselves and for the believers around us. Earlier this morning, just before I stepped out of my office, I received a phone call from the Saltzmans. We've been praying for the uh, daughter-in-law of the Saltzmans. They called to tell me that she is near death. Saltzmans aren't here today because they're driving to be at her bedside. How should we pray for them? This is how we pray for them. God, give, give that woman and give every member of that family confidence in the gospel of Christ, that if she has embraced the gospel, she has all she needs. She need not fear death because all is right with her and God. That's what we pray. And God, help all the members of this family to have confidence in the gospel, seeing that as your will for our for our spiritual lives. And we pray that God would give them clarity about his moral will because they've got a lot of decisions that they have to make at this point. Help them to know your moral will so they can make a series of good decisions and then have confidence in the decisions they've made. Not to be, to be uh, plagued with, with guilt or fear, but just to know that they have done what you would have them do. See, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, these are the right requests to make. And friends, why should we pray these things? Let's answer it in verse 10. Paul says, we pray these things so as, or for the purpose of, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing, or as we increase, in the knowledge of God. See, this is the goal of these prayer requests. This is the goal of the entire Christian life, my friends. The goal of our lives is not to achieve a partial reformation in which some of our life is under the lordship of Christ and other parts of our life are still in the world. No, our goal in life is that in everything, everything, we should be brought under the lordship of him who bought us with his own blood. That's the goal. The goal is that we should bear fruit in every good work as we increase in our knowledge of God. That in our thinking and doing, we would follow the example and teachings of Christ. That we would not be tempted by the vain philosophies and self-destructive lifestyles of those who do not know God. It's our goal that we become convinced of the surpassing worth of all that God would be for us through Christ, to his honor and glory. That's our goal. Not a partial reformation, but a total and complete reformation of the self to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And so Paul prays for these Colossian Christians, not that God would make life easier for them by removing the troubles, but rather that God would do a work inside of them such that they are brought to a place of full confidence and surrender in the will of God that they might enjoy a life of total reformation and therein be content. My friends, in the world in which we live, there are many opportunities for us 
to be only half reformed. And we see it all the time. Christian parents who will faithfully bring their families to church every Sunday, while Monday through Saturday all they're doing is pursuing the American dream, and make all the money and buy all the nice stuff. Or we see it in the, the young adults who profess love for Christ and, and show evidence that, that they are bringing areas of life under His Lordship, but then every June they're still flying the flag of the sexual revolutionaries. We see it everywhere about us, half-reformed Christians, part of their lives submitted to Christ, part of their lives still enthralled with the systems of thought in our world. And so their life is an amalgam of such things. But this does not glorify God. It's God's desire that we should fully surrender ourselves to His will, becoming consistent in all of our thoughts and in all of our actions. So my friend, may I ask, are there departments of your life that you have not yet surrendered to the will of God? Are you trying to to supplement the teachings of Christ with the teachings of this world? Are you trying to, to add to the gospel of Christ, subtract from the gospel of Christ? Are you trying to reinterpret the teachings of Christ so as to accommodate the thoughts of this world? My friends, such ought not to be the case. If it is the case, you need to pray. Pray that God would help you to have the wisdom to see what is from Him and what is not from Him so that you might embrace the former and forsake the latter, that you might be a fully reformed Christian? Do you have a loved one who has found the world more appealing than Christ in part or in whole? Maybe a half-reformed loved one. And pray for them. Pray just as Paul prayed for these Colossian Christians, that, that God would do a supernatural work in their hearts such that they would come to see the beauty of His will. And that they'd grow fully confident in it and follow it with all their hearts. Pray for them. My friends, in His grace, God is determined to use our prayers to accomplish His purposes in the world. That's what He tells us in His Word. And we know it's His will that all believers be fully conformed to Christ. So let's pray for that. Paul knew this truth. That's why he was not ceasing to pray for the Colossian believers. Since we know this, let us pray nonstop for ourselves and for each other as well. In fact, let's pray together now. Lord, thank you for the time you've given us today. And would you please to help us to embrace your will and to see it as fully sufficient for life and godliness. Help us not to be tempted by the systems of thought around us. Help us to see them as antithetical to the faith we hold. Help us, Lord, to, be, to, to experience in our lives a full reformation of our character so that we are fully glorifying to you. Help us, Lord, to be earnest in our prayers for one another. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.